This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today for another episode. Today, I've got two guests for you. They're mobile home park owners, operators, entrepreneurs. They started in the business not too long ago, but they got a lot of fast acceleration and, and rapid growth. So, interested to hear their story, share their story with you. Please help me welcome my guests, Dylan Stewart, Alex Donalo. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ferd. Excited to be here with you. Yeah, you guys. Absolutely. Guys. Thanks for having us. You bet, man. Obviously, I know you guys really well. I've worked on a lot of deals together and uh, know you fine, right? But these, for our crowd that doesn't know you, maybe tell us a little bit more about your background and then how you got an MHP and we'll go from there. Yeah, I'll start us off here. So we started out in a single family space and then Alex and I met 2018. You know, we continued with our single family business and then end of 2019, it was a total serendipitous God thing. We were able to buy our first mobile home park uh, from a gentleman who was trying to, we were trying to sell him a single family deal. He's like, Hey, I'm not looking to buy, but I have a park I'm looking to sell. So we uh, just outside of St. Louis, actually on the Illinois side and um, bought that park. And then beginning of 2020, bought two more and right next door, smaller ones, and really just spent the year figuring out how to do it even more. And so and uh, the beginning of this 2020, we really just been ramping it up. And so right now we're just uh, up, up almost about 200 pads and then got another 200 in escrow that we're closing on over the next few months. And so we're growing quickly and we've been learning a lot. That's for sure. Great. Alex, anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Dylan pretty much touched on everything. We, uh, you know, I came from a construction background and so that that's kind of how I dovetailed into real estate. I started flipping homes locally, um, but had that entrepreneurial edge and wanted to go virtual and bigger. And um, Dylan and I met it, like he said, at a mastermind. And we started, um, you know, we started virtually wholesaling in the St. Louis metro market, which got us really good at marketing and systems. And so we were getting access to a lot of good leads and understanding the transactional process. And like, I think a lot of people, we had self-storage and shipping containers or self-storage and uh, mobile home parks uh, on the horizon at some point. Um, and like Dylan said, it kind of, a deal fell into our lap in sort of a serendipitous situation. And we were able to execute on it, get a really good deal and kind of build momentum from there to where, who knows, we might not even have executed on our first park. We'd still be sludging along in single family right now. So fortunate for that. And it kind of forced us to build the teams and the systems that we needed to scale. No, that's great. I know you guys, you're both on the West coast, right? So it's, you're managing stuff from you know, halfway across the country. So clearly you need systems, you need people, you need to be able to monitor. How have you guys been able to do that? And how have you, you know, how'd you kind of you know, actually get the courage to sort of get, get the, you had the idea, like a lot of people, like, let's get out of single family. Let's do something more scalable in multifamily or MH or self storage. But how'd you go from, you know, you told us kind of zero to one and then zero to two, three, but you guys been able to ramp it up here in the last year or two. Uh, tell us a little more about that process. It's hard. That's for sure. Because not to mention Alex and I are virtual. So I'm in like Tacoma, Washington area, Alex in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So, you know, we're not even in the same state and then we're investing virtually. So Alex and I 
spend more times on zooms and phone calls than we do face to face. And it's just, it's always been like that. So it's um, really forced us to have to communicate well, have similar visions and agreements, but you know, when you're doing something across the country, it really just comes down to the systems you have in place, the clarity on the expectations. And then, you know, the reality is you're just going to learn, right. And as you have mistakes, it's not just moving through them, but then actually documenting them and saying, okay, great. How can I make this avoidable on the next purchase? How can I have it more clear when we're hiring a site manager, when we're finding contractors so that when we have our team members as we do in place, that they can go out and execute it better. And so, I think the biggest thing that has helped us is for one, of course, we find the right, we go out to all the properties during due diligence, of course. And then, you know, we're usually there for closing for the week uh, transition. And so we're, we're building relationships with all of our contractors, our site managers, the city as needed. And so we really do our best to establish that so that we have that rapport built. So as we're following up with them for the months and years to come, um, it's already established. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing to add to that, you know, um, definitely the team is a, is a huge component, but I think when we, when we ventured into single family originally, it was virtual single family was seeking out that nomad lifestyle. And I think I, I would subscribe to the idea that you could accomplish that in single family. You could get that nomad lifestyle. I mean, we were doing it. We were, we, we were never leaving our home base. We weren't having to travel to these properties and wholesaling, you know, homes under a thousand dollars. And, and we could have scaled that uh, would have required a lot of volume, a lot of time and a lot of infrastructure. But what we realized once you move over to the mobile home park space, just with especially in the value add, you've got to be on site and you've got to have your team on site and you've got to be traveling. And so we just realized, I mean, we don't necessarily consider ourselves virtual anymore. I mean, we're we're traveling and visiting these um, sites. We're helping train the site managers. Um, we're aspiring to be like you and the Andrew Keels who are out there, you know, working on these homes and making sure everything's operating well. And that seems to be the general um, attitude in this space. And we, so, you know, we've kind of shifted from that mindset of like, if we're going to be managing millions of dollars and all these properties, like we're going to be as involved as it takes until um, the systems are fully in place. And I'm sure as you've experienced, Bert, is you need to have a team around you, right? And so guys can usually build a portfolio slowly and well if if they're doing the process every step of the way right and they can scale however quickly they want but for us yeah we have our construction manager we have our acquisition guy we have you know our our um property management you know kind of team and then you know alex deals with primarily investors and marketing and i'm more of the operations of the kind of property and so there's just multiple people in different seats and that allows for us to really become masters at the craft and you know that you know, our, our contractors and our vendors only dealing with one person, right? They're not jumping around between numerous people that they have their point of contact and it, it makes it easier. And, and that works for us. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, building a team is hard. I think it's the part of, you know, operations is the hardest part of the business, but the most important. And, and it takes a team to do that. And building a team is hard, you know, and we try to create a good team culture here and get the right people and hustle and and it's still hard, right? And it's, it's hard to motivate people, you know, beyond just compensation. I've got, a lady in the office recently that was really stressed out of work. And, you know, I was like, I can't just throw more money at her. That's not going to solve the problem. It's like, no, okay, she needs, she wants training. She wants cooperation. She wants communication with somebody else in the team. Okay. That's something different. Right. And so it's just, it's, it's really listening to people. We've rolled out a training program here where we have, you know, everybody in the company weekly training topics and that people have feedback on that and access to management, access to senior management. 
because um, we've learned as you grow, you know, there's just more going on and you don't want to run around your hair on fire all day. So that's, that's been a key to key to scaling is, and get some good people too, right? I mean, you can't, you know, can't, you know, have hamburger money and get steak talent, right? So you got to you know, figure out how to pay people, right? And how to motivate people and then how to build a good culture. And then you know, the remote, we've got, we've got an office here in Missouri, Western Missouri, and then Western Illinois. So we've got full-time staff in office, not working, but, but four hours apart. So, yeah, you know, so we do a lot of Zooms and Teams. But it's not the same. You know, so you got to be on site. Totally agree. Yeah. And, and just to touch on that real quick, because it is crucial to, uh, you know, not glaze over, yeah, just how important our team is to the whole business, you know, and having having clearly defined roles and people in their own position. I mean, for us with value add projects, you know, infill is its own position. We've, we've built out an entire position and onboarded that. And we have VAs helping source homes and one individual working to get partnered with 20 going down the 21st wormhole. And, and, um, and that's its own animal. Construction is its own animal. We need to make sure that's adhering to the business plan at all times. And, and, um, and so having Dylan and I as sort of executives above that, and then we have our, you know, our COO who's incredible and oversees all our properties and site managers. And then um, it's allowed us to really step back and focus on, cause it is a business. We're running a business um, and we need to practice leadership skills. And, you know, um, I, a lot of the things you do, you know, you, you treat this as a business, you have your podcast and your marketing and your social media and, and you're scaling into new ventures. And that's definitely our, our attitude. And I think that's what's helped uh, break us into this, what's becoming very competitive space. Yeah. Right. And, and a super important thing is, you know, we all hear about it when we're listening to podcasts, like, Oh, you know, biggest thing that's helped me grow is networking and building relationships. And I remember for a while I was hearing that in this space, but I never actually took action on it. Right. And now we've been able to apply that and we built great relationships with other operators, other, you know, professionals in their, their own sector, right. Other investors and so many people that, now I have relationships with people and I've called you for it and you've been quick to respond. And so many other people like, Hey, I genuinely have a question. I need help. And people for the most part are willing to actually, you know, give a helping hand. It's that's a big, important thing is build relationships. And then secondly, is constantly reflecting and auditing, right. As you mentioned for your team, you're sitting down and, and having those discussions. And for us, we're incorporating that in our team, sitting with talking with our site managers, our internal team saying, Hey, what went well this past week? What are some things we need to improve on, upon us as owners? What are things that you're seeing that we're not, right? And getting feedback. And even if you're a one-man team and you're slowly growing, sit down like a business and have those reflective questions on how you can improve. And for us, we get feedback from our investors on how we can do things better and, and get, um, yeah, just some updates because we want to be improving and you should always have an open ear for other people's input. That makes sense. So let's talk about investors for a second because I know you guys are working with some investors and some projects. And that's another thing that's kind of like scaling up with staffing. It's, it's another level of activity and complexity and, and something needs to be managed. So um, how is it that you're um, just managing relationships like that? I mean, from a reporting standpoint, from a, you know, is it, hey, call me anytime? Is it phone calls? Is it conference calls? Is it email blast? Is it, you know, periodic? Yeah, that's a great question. So our first, our first like three deals that we bought were, I think we paid cash. They were like under 200,000. They were smaller parks and we were able to just source some private money from friends and family. And then I think we even had some lines of credit. We pulled out some lines of credit that we bought those properties with. And then once we started 
scaling and, and getting into larger projects um, and, you know, sourcing bank, bank debt and having to actually raise capital. We, you know, the, the osmosis of it sort of led us into more of the partnership realm. We were networking with a lot of people that were learning and active and really excited about the space. And it didn't really fit for them to be necessarily an LP or passive. And, and so we kind of, we were kind of able to join up and partner with some of these individuals and do some partnerships. And that's been incredible for us. But with these partnerships comes, um, you know, more obligation and, and more auditing from your investors. And for us, like we see it as a positive, we're still learning, growing. And, and honestly, the reporting is, is um, developing and blossoming. And it's something we're going to need to probably delegate and outsource, you know, eventually. But um, right now it's just making sure we're absolutely always available. And when things do arise that we address them quickly, um, you know, and that's kind of been our biggest thing is just making ourselves available with, as far as reporting goes, you know, for the, for the most part, we've been doing monthly distributions because we're trying, we're newer, we're staying competitive. Um, and most of these deals can weather that. And we do, you know, monthly reporting and then try to do quarterly, like high level audits with the whole team of partners. And, um, and that's sort of the gist of it. We just wrapped up a refinance, kind of our first um, full cycle on a project. And so we're, we're um, hitting some milestones and, and owe it all to our investors who have, who have trusted us, you know, being new and put a lot just in our, you know, really a lot of it boils down to the operator. They say money will follow a good deal. I agree. Um, but a lot of it has just come with having good, honest, raw conversations with individuals and saying, Hey, let's do this together. And so as we get into bigger deals, I see us venturing into syndications more and more, but, um, we also want to be a goal for us is to be taking down deals on our own, uh, being able to qualify for these deals on our own, bring our own company capital, wholesale stack up reserves. Um, so that's kind of on the horizon as well. Well, that's, that's good. I want to touch on something there you mentioned, because you've mentioned partnerships and LPs for, you know, some of our listeners may not know all those, but in, in general terms, LP is a limited, limited partner, but it's really, it's a limit, limited partner role relative to the general partner, which you guys in a syndication LPs would typically get something like a preferred return. They would be passive, typically accredited investors. In some instances, they can be sophisticated investors. Um, so that would be the syndication model. Also, which I know you guys are working on a lot. You're mentioning is, you know, active partners or right? the other guy, the other guys and gals also have an active role like you guys. And that's going to be typically standard LLC structure, but it would be considered more of a joint venture than a syndication. And then the, the third option is just no outside parties. It's just the two of you guys. And it's, you already have an LLC mapped on and you can just, you obviously create a special purpose entity for the next project, but it would be single member mapped on, right. You know, or, or single member Dylan and Alex or Dylan and Alex spouses, whatever you set it up. Right. But, um, all of those can work, right? But yeah, you're, you're, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that you know, for most folks, in order to, to grow and tackle bigger deals, you got to find some rich guys that write the checks. And that's typically done in the form of a syndication, right? And yep. there's no picnic. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I hate doing them. I get paid legal fees to do it, but it's just a, they're a pain, right? Um, but, but they're you know, part of the business, part of uh, scaling and growing. Well, and I, I would say just one thing, last thing real quick is like, you know, challenging yourself. I mean, this applies in personal life and in business, but, you know, when you put yourself in challenging situations, when you're backed up against the wall, when you have to close on a deal and raise capital last minute, you end up 10xing your efforts and you call more people and you reach out. And over these past, the, you know, our uh, our volume this, these past few months is 
had to raise a lot of capital and and we gotten on the phone with some funds and made some new big connections and that's where it's opened up a plethora of possibilities for us so it just shows like Dylan said the power of networking if you could apply that effort and that energy every day um, to reaching out and connecting like the opportunities are endless and now we have the choice of like do we want to go the syndication route partner with these 10 20 30 million funds um, that are wanting to work with us for us kind of step back and work on our own projects and and um, and and that's a, a real thing we're realizing is you don't necessarily have to scale to grow um, you can also implement efficiencies and so and Alex and I have been going through profit first you know and just applying those models within our business. And, you know, I like how Alex touched on that because everybody's competitive. Everybody wants to be, like you said, we're talking about for Sam Hales or Frank and Dave or Keel, or if I want to be like Ferd, whatever, it's like, why? Like really, you, why don't you just be yourself? If you're like, hey, I need 5,000 bucks a month to retire my wife and, you know, work from home or 10,000 or 50,000, 100,000, whatever it is, get clarity on goals. Cause Alex and I have been, um, you know, talking about that. We're like, hey, let's go to 1500 pads and then we'll kind of cruise up from there. But <laughs> as we're reflecting more, it's like that opens a can of worms of, you know, legal loopholes and team members and just so many things that you have to address. So it's like, Hey, well, why can't we just make more profit on the deals that we have in front of us? Why can't we be more intentional and structure the deals how we want, but do less deals. And maybe that's more aligned with our goals. And so for any of the listeners, it's, you don't have to compete with everybody else. It's just have clarity on what you need to accomplish and then build a business plan around it. Yeah. I think that's great. I mean, I think that's right. I mean, there's two key metrics. I think it's, it's cash flow, which, you know, pays your bills, but then it's also more importantly to me is net worth. And you, and you measure that by you know, obviously the value of the asset less that you own on it. And you, and you do it times all, you know, add up all the assets you own. And I've really kind of focused on that. And it's been helpful. A lot of guys focus on lot count. You know, I've got over a thousand lots, but I don't care if I own 5,000. I mean, I'd like to own 5,000, but I know that a lot's not, not the same as another lot, right? I've got a lot in Des Moines that's worth 60,000 a pad. I've got a lot in Canton that's worth 20,000 a pad. Which one's more? I've got a client that's like, yeah, man, I bought my first park. I got 200 pads. It's like, I know, and I'm not going to tell her his name, right? But he'll be, he'll be out there boasting, I got 200 pads, first deal. Like, I know that that deal sucks. And it has a you know broken well, a broken lagoon, in a rough market, yeah. and you got seventy two homes to demo, and you paid four hundred thirty thousand seller finance. That doesn't sound like the two hundred pad park we all think about, right? That's ten million bucks, and it's in the it's a, it's a big shiny deal with a pool and a clubhouse. So I think the, my point is, don't let this become a measuring contest of how many lots do I got for the How much is like focus on whatever your own goal is, and I think of two key goals are what's cash flow. Cause that, you know, that like you said, retire your wife. Well, I, I don't know. I've never heard it said that way, but yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, my wife gets to stay home with our kids. That's awesome. Right? I like that. She wants to, I want to. And it's because we have the kit. We've set up the cash flow, right? Uh, you know, you want to get another deal. It's easier to get another deal when you show the bank your PFS and it's got more commas in it than it used to. Right. That's important. So, um, Figure out what your goal is, like, and then, like Alex said, 10x, man. And uh, I love yeah. that. Right? You should tell Grant Cardone that. <laughs> He's slipping away, anyway. Someone needs to tell him something. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Hopefully he's not listening. He's probably listening, man. Yeah, he's yeah. He's actually he's actually he's actually gonna be a guest on Friday. I right? believe it. I know. I tried to get I tried to get Secretary Ben Carson as when he was head of HUD. I thought that'd be like my 
my ultimate guess to get the head or, or Sam Bell, but I couldn't get Sam. I got Frank Roth to come on. That was a pretty big deal. I was hey, you're still young yet. Yeah, that's right. You have Frank on here. Sam Sam Zell was is like the target now, but uh I told Well you got us, you could check that off your yeah, list. You guys, yeah, you guys you guys were like sixth on the list. I had I had Frank Roth, I had Ben Carson, President Trump, and then you guys were tied. And then Mad Don Capital. Yeah. 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 Makes us feel better now. Well, another another plug is just uh, you know your your services too. You've been a huge catalyst. You know, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but just just for our growth. It, I mean, seriously, just being able to. Uh, I mean, there's no question that we fumbled our our legal documents the first few um, the first few projects, and once we had your professional services and your mentorship backing us, it just I mean, for one, raising capital, having that credibility and just the speed and efficiency and allowing us to focus on growing the business has just been, you know, so definitely I appreciate your services and honored to be on your podcast here. Yeah, you got it. Appreciate it. Um, appreciate you guys. Um, what other tips or tricks do you guys have? Are you got any, you got any horror stories or I know you have one horror story of the, of a flooding issue. Maybe that'd be a good one to tell or a pipe issue, but do you have any horror stories or fun tips you want to share? Oh man. Well, I, I mean, just I'll touch on that recent one. Yeah. We, we closed on a park in Minnesota and, you know, a week after closing, we had, you know, a pipe burst underneath the home and it was like 10 feet deep. The plumber couldn't find it. He's like, I've been doing this for 30 years. He's like, it should be a simple fix. You know, they had to dig out pretty much underneath the home. Unfortunately, it was, it was a vacant home but the water was just eroding the whole foundation underneath. And so the home was either going to collapse and they were at the point to where they weren't going to do the work anymore because this is a liability issue. So of course I reached out to Ferd. I'm like, Hey, what can we do about this? Because really our only option is to probably demo the home. We have to buy the home from, uh, it was a actually tenant owned, but it was vacant. And so there's just so many things we had to do. Unfortunately, we were able to save the home, the ground solidified, but, it just goes to say, if we had people in our network that would call and say, what would you advise in these situations instead of just a knee jerk reaction? Okay. Yeah. Take down the home because that lot still has value. You know, it's going to be a simple little renovation and, and put a resident in there and you know, it's now cash flowing versus having to just demo it quickly. And so that was one, I'm sure Alex has more because we can go on this for a minute. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's a great one. And that the lesson learned is just that, you know, things are going to come up that you didn't account for. And I don't think this, you know, this, the on the nose solution is have a reserves account. Sure. Um, you know, but, but just having reserves in itself wouldn't have solved that solution. It, it was having the team in place that was able to quickly assess. I mean, they had to shut the water off. Had we not been accessible, had we not had a team around us, it would have been a nightmare for everybody involved. And so I just, I, I'd speak to a lot of investors or, or people coming into the space thinking they're going to come in and hire a third-party manager and just start, you know, buying up these parks and, and for one, it's taken away from us guys that want to add value to these and have the business plan built out. Cause to me, it's not that simple. There's, there's value that needs to be added to a lot of these projects and, and these, these assets. Um, and it also, yeah, it touches on a second, I think core story or lesson learned, which was just like for us having in-house management. I mean, I, I don't know, we, we had horrible experience with sourcing outside um, management and just, you know, hiring people that, that, aren't as incentivized as you are uh, to take care of your residents, to take care of your, your assets. And, and once we went in-house and we built that out with our vision, our model, and said, this is how the management works. We need a full-time person in place. Um, 
I just think that's a, that's the key component to our business. And we, we, um, you know, just a quick core story. I mean, we had hired a, a third party management company and, and a, a site manager for our first, um, our first three parks. And I think, you know, for six months, Dylan and I were getting ulcers of just the police were calling us. Our site manager was drunk. We were the main point of contact for everybody involved. There was death threats going around and it was just, it was a nightmare. And there's, there's a lot that goes on, but with good on the ground management and someone facilitating that full time, um, you know, it needs that. And you need rapport to be able to start increasing value, increasing rents, et cetera. And so I just, um, I advise either partner up with someone who's got the team in place or start building that team around you and hire specialists in each space. Yeah, no one's going to care about your property as much as you do. And so when we did that outsourcing, yeah, they would collect rents from those who would pay them, right? But when there was late notices or there was, you know, issues that needed to be resolved, there was no urgency or priority around that. Like now when we get those calls and, you know, our management team gets that calls, like we address it quickly and we want to take care of our residents. So that's, that was a big, you know, learning lesson. Absolutely. Now you said something I like they're doing too. You said, nobody's going to care about your property as much as you do. And, and that couldn't be more true. I mean, it's like, you want to have a team, you want to build at the same time you got to, you do care and you got to recognize that as you scale, you know, you may not be able to watch 10 properties easily as you watch once. You got to get people you trust, which typically means bring them in and give them a piece of ownership. You know, you know, whether there's ownership mentality or ownership on profits or ownership in equity or whatever, but it, it, at some point you need to create an ownership mentality and then, and then ownership of duties. I'm a big fan of Jocko Welling's book, Extreme Ownership. Yeah, I, I just went through Extreme Ownership and and been rolling some of that out into, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's it's what it boils down to, right? The mission at hand is what matters and how do we lead the team to get there, you know? And, um, Another... Yeah, another tip that comes to mind is we already kind of touched on it is just reporting and tracking, right? There's so many parts of your business, whether that's marketing, acquisitions, collections, construction, investor relationships. The more frequently you check something, the, the quicker you can make a course correction. If you're only checking your numbers quarterly or, or biannually, it's harder to steer the ship. But if you're doing that on a weekly or monthly basis, you can make those improvements. And so that's one thing that we've also been implementing in our business is being really thorough with tracking our, our acquisitions process, where we're at in due diligence and, you know, how we're doing on construction timeline cost, and, and just every part of the business, because then it allows for us to, we, we lead from data, not from emotion. And that's a big factor. So many people get emotional in this business and they make irrational choices, but if they actually would look at the numbers, they could then drive to the right place. Absolutely. Great points. Reminds me of a couple quotes from famous guys that I really appreciate. Peter Drucker says, what gets measured gets managed. So obviously tangible measurement is key. And then you want to mimic people who are doing it right. And uh, Tony Robbins says it like this, success leaves clues. Mm -hmm. Find something successful and then look at the clues and then do what they do. And people who are successful measure. You know, you look at the Olympics coming up, you look at a swimmer, they measure their lap time. They measure their, they know their weight. They know what their, the calories are eating. They know when they're sleeping when they're not sleeping. They know how many hours they're training, how many hours they're not training, you know, how many times they go to the chiropractor, the physical therapist, whatever it is, measure it, right? And then yeah. mimic it. So I think you guys are on it that you're, you're using data and, and tracking results. And, and it's a, it's a long-term game, but 
uh, that's the right, that's the way to do it. Long-term vision. Absolutely. Most certainly. And, and I'm going to go on this again. I've already talked about it, but I want to reiterate to listeners is just vulnerability. The reality is this is a messy business. There's things that happen and they're going to continue to happen. And so when there's an issue that arises, don't be afraid to like for us, we're in the more partnership model. So we can have these conversations with our investors, get feedback or have conversations within the team. And when they make a mistake and create an environment to, to share vulnerably and get feedback, because that's the only way we can grow. And I've seen so many people's, or we've, we've experienced this ourselves where we just want to keep it and try to figure it out. But not only is it detrimental to our own, you know, beliefs or confidence, but then it doesn't, we can't have that breakthrough as quickly as if we would get insight from other people in our corner. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And you touched it aligning interests. You know, we actually do that with all our partners or all our team members have, you know, they're getting a piece of equity of, of our company equity of each um, project. And so there's, there's alignment of interest there and in, in ensuring that the assets are performing. Um, but I think the biggest thing like adherence to business plan. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's so crucial. And it's like, you know, the entire next, however many years is reliance on, you know, broken down each day, there's metrics that you have to hit and they need to be tracked and then they need to be tracked weekly and monthly and quarterly. And that's, that's the biggest thing for us is just, um, it helps you refine your underwriting process and say, all right, let's be a little more conservative. Let's acknowledge that things are going to come up um, because we want to practice perfect adherence to the business plan. Like, like Frank talks about, and um, that's become a, an art for us and, and our partners appreciate it. And so that's, um, you know, something that we're working on diligently now and building out systems. That's it. I mean, you can have a great team, but if you don't have the systems, it's going to be a shotgun approach on every deal. And that's, we're always looking for opportunities. All right, how can we build a system around that and make it as smooth as possible for all future projects? So. All right, guys, great stuff. Thanks for coming on. Anything else, any other last minute words before we jump? And, and then also tell us how we can find you guys. I mean, last minute is just massive imperfect action. You know, you, you don't know what you don't know. So take action, go figure it out. Um, but, you know, you can reach us at, at our website, mabdon.com. We have our Facebook group, Elite MHP Investing. And, you know, you can connect with us there. And of course, on Facebook, you know, Dylan Stewart and Alex Donalo. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. All righty. Thank you so much for, for having us. You got it. Yes, appreciate it. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.